Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness on a beautiful Thursday, May 13th in somewhat sunny central florida you'll have to excuse me if there's any noises in the background there's currently an air show going on above my house and they are just letting it rip what are the happenings with you folks paul what are you looking at my phone man how about you mind your own business maybe yo flip that shit upside down we're recording a podcast dog jay how are you how's life i'm i'm good man i'm just sitting here looking out this window there's some fellas uh replacing a roof for my neighbors and they are very efficient dom Look out your window. What do you see? Sadness? Uh, it's actually sunny. It's sunny today in Michigan. Oh, my God. The first yeah, day of sun is. in Michigan since what? Vietnam? Oh. I thought Governor Whitmer outlawed sunshine. Didn't she say no more sunshine? <laughs> it might have been her last executive order. <laughs> <laughs> no fun. All right, guys. So today on our episode, we are going to take a quick and sharp skirt skirt left turn away from our usual q a structure to talk about things that we did wrong in our past as coaches and what we have learned throughout the years so just a quick four question list here invoking some very good very insightful conversation about where we were then and where we are now first question this is a very, very nebulous one. It's one that's you can take in a lot of different directions, and I'm going to throw it to Dom first. And it says, do you feel like you are a better coach today than you were in year one? So not like looking back and being like, oh, man, I used to do a lot of stupid stuff. Put yourself in the moment of coaching in year one versus how you feel about your coaching today. Did year one Dom think he was a better coach than year whatever it is now? Um, probably because of limited info. Uh, I didn't know things that I know now, so I probably thought I was a better coach then <laughs> than versus now. And then, uh, yeah, I think that. What do they call that? The old Dunning-Kruger? I think that's the term because holy God, did I think that I was just God's gift to the earth when it came to coaching. I listened to like two or three episodes of a podcast with Lane Norton about tracking your macros. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to teach people all about these little macaronis and they are going to be the best bodybuilders, the healthiest people in the world. So it's funny, like putting yourself back in that situation of like how good you thought you were then. And then you kind of, age and you get more experience and you look at yourself now and you're like wow you know what i am just the biggest piece of shit hanging on by a thread all of my clients might leave me tomorrow jay how about you year one what was year one jay like uh that was 1937 ryan 
<laughs> so he was cruising in the in the Model T. Let's see, year one. Gosh, that must have been like oh, so that was two thousand two. I guess I was a personal trainer at the time. Um, that's when I got my first cert. That's where I learned it all. Was in that certification class. That one book about this thick. If for those not viewing us on YouTube, I'm holding up. This is maybe four inches so a four inch tall book that's what four inches looks like oh jimmy i've been lying to you (laughs) (laughs) in that four inch tall book that's where i learned uh basically everything that i thought i would ever need to know about uh body composition and that was it and then i learned everything else when it came to coaching bodybuilders from you know the finer publications of the day muscular development flex magazine um those were the bit muscle mag there was actually a muscle magazine called muscle mag you know and that's where I, I learned the majority of that information at the time i thought that i had it all figured out everybody needs to do bicep curls um four sets of 10 to 15 Thanks. no matter who they were that's how that works so yeah year one knew it all had it all figured out did you spend any time diving into the peer-reviewed source known as bodybuilding.com slash forum slash misc? Yes, actually, yes. And that's where I uh, that's where I pseudo met the nice fellas like uh, Mr. or Dr. I apologize, Dr. Lane Norton, Dr. <laughs> Eric Helms, uh, Paul raviolis um that's where i met all those people back then in the bodybuilding.com forums it's mr dr lane norton to you (laughs) paul i i struggle to ask this because i don't even know what kind of answer i'm going to get what was year one coach paul like man so i took a couple stabs at coaching and they didn't last very long because I knew I wasn't ready for one reason or another. Um, but then this current kind of, you know, where we finally settled in and now it's more of a career path. Uh, I don't know, man. You know, I went through the ringer with like academics and stuff. And so I, I already had a lot of humbling experiences. But I will say, um, Like, I probably knew I was going to grow and get better, but I also was kind of a cocky asshole, you know? Like, I was so ready to call people out on Instagram and kind of essentially even, like, go as far to make an ass out of myself, you know? So, like, there there probably was a side of me that, for sure, there was a side of me that thought, like, I was the shit because, you know, I was maybe bringing something a little different to, like the the scene the small pond here yeah who by a show of hands hasn't at some point in their coaching career giving it given in to that call out culture of like i see something that i disagree with that another coach is doing let me go ahead and fire up the old twitter fingers because there's (laughs) about to be a war on these streets we've all done it We're, we're all we're all guilty here um, so here's a kind of like a follow-up question that goes with that. And we'll start with Paul. We'll just we'll kind of like snake this up and down, up and down. Your skill set. Has your skill set as a coach developed more as a result of learning, whether that be, you know, resources inside of, or outside of academia, or have you learned more as a result of trial and error? Trial and error and coaching experience for sure. 
Um, like it's crazy, right? I spent all those years learning um, both in, within academics, you know, through undergrad and my master's, as well as outside of that with my own learning and following other coaches and stuff. But a lot of that was had such limited practice on like just me or maybe like my girlfriend at the time, uh, maybe a couple friends until but it's not until you really get to it and you have a decent like coaching roster and you have to solve problems and and figure out new ways to attack things that all that theory just clicks and it makes sense and you know why because the way i explain it when people talk about undergrad i learned a lot of a lot of shit man um you know strength and conditioning class i know what periodization is i, I know what all these terms mean but i had no idea like what it meant to put it into practice, you know, and how to mold that and, and it not, you know, me put something on paper and it not look like a copy of something in a textbook and how that looks in real life, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, a lot of things have changed over the years, like everything from the amount of data I collect, you know, what I look at to make make to make changes, even like just the way my programs look and, and the way I attack those. Um, yeah, man, uh, it's all changed for sure. What about you, Jay? More from, more from academia or more so from trial and error over the years? I think it was definitely more trial and error just because I had, you know, I think before I went back to school, I probably had been a personal trainer or a coach for like, you know, well over a decade, like 15 years or something like, God, I'm fucking old. Um, and, okay, and we so, still love you, Jay. so can you hear me, Jay, school, Jay, huh? <laughs> so when I went to school, you know, I had this idea that I'm going to go there and they're going to unlock all the things that I need to figure out to be a better coach. And I mean, undergrad, I'm like, so when do we get to like the building programs part? And then we went to the master's program and I was like, so when do we get to the building? And it, it kind of happened for like, maybe a month we talked about that stuff, but it never, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But at the end of the day, you know, I learned the mechanisms behind a lot of the things that, you know, a lot of the results that I was trying to get with my clients, I kind of learned the mechanisms to get there. So, but at the end of the day, it was definitely more experienced than, than anything else that helped me as a coach. Um, academia was great. Um, you know, I see a lot of coaches that come out now and they, they can get a wealth of information just by googling things and learning things from there but i think there's there's a little bit to spending some time in academia that you just wouldn't get just from googling things at the end of the day but experience probably is far more of a, a determiner of a good coach than necessarily just knowing a bunch of literature and you know learning knowing a bunch of data and learning just the mechanisms behind things i think it's it's probably if i were to put a percentage on it it might be like 60 percent you know, experience and then 40% of, you know, the things you learn in academia. Wow. I'm kind of surprised by those numbers. Dom, what, what, if you were to split it up into numbers like Jay did, how would you kind of divvy that up? Um, well, I, I was, so I was coaching before I did my master's. So I kind of had a general like background of what I was getting myself into when I went back to school. Um, so I was already in the process. I think being in school at the time of coaching at the same time 
actually taught me more to apply to clients, but also it allowed me to fix trial and error a lot faster. I think, I think academia reduces the amount of trial and error you have to experience because you generally know what's going on mechanism wise or, you know, response wise that reduces that window of how much trial and error we have to go through. Um, that's why like, you know, you'll get guys and stuff that are like, Oh, you don't need to know all this science stuff, but they have to try so many times to fix something rather. I think education reduces that trying to fix something from five to twice, you know? So I think that is where, where experience and academia come together and kind of just reduce that um, time spent on trying to fix things. Uh, but I definitely learned from both ends though, you know, trial and error, but I feel like my trial and error stems from literature I've read or things I've learned in school, not pro science form things that, you know, people try. And I, I bet you would even say your trial and error, like, uh, comes from like an academic mindset. Like it's not just, let's just try fucking this and then see what happens. You're, you have like a scientific process of figure, figuring it out. Yeah. I, I, and I, I agree. Like, I think like, I'm not, you know, like when you add food back to somebody's diet, you're trying to get like a, I don't know, a thyroid response from it or whatever we we say that because we know that we're not just saying like oh go get a cheat meal to add calories back to get a you know maybe you'll lose weight like you know like i think i think that's how academia can come into all this and really uh really have its benefits but i would say it's more 50 50 for me can i add something real quick um no. <laughs> fucking uh no so like 100% like even if um, you know, I were to give a smaller percentage for academics, it's still not representative of how much it actually helps because you can reason through because like all the time, um, you know, like I, let's say I'm talking to somebody and they they think a certain supplement causes a certain effect, you know, because they, they haven't developed certain critical thinking skills. And it's like, no, we can come back to, you know, all these other potential reasons that maybe make a little more sense. And I think that that critical thinking side, I mean, it's a skill and it's a skill that you can develop on your own, but it's just something that is inherent and comes with academics when you spend time with professors you spend time with researchers, reading researchers, uh, research, or potentially even doing a little bit of research yourself, man. It, it's just a new way of thinking um, that, you know, a lot of people miss out on or, or skills that they don't build. I think what dominate. it is, like, Go ahead, Jay. I think I probably, I think what it is for me, it's like I spent so much time fucking it up, you know, before academia um, or before coaching even became a thing like it is now um so when i look at it it's like i it's more of the soft skills i think that i learned you know prior to academia like how do i relate to a, someone you know how do i just have a conversation with them how do i how do i tease out their quote unquote why like why are they coming to me how do i tease out all those things as opposed to just giving them some numbers because i'm sure 
we'd all agree that the approach that we use for a client is going to be a little bit different just based off of who they are. Um, and you kind of, you learn those things through that first conversation or through a consult. And I probably spend too much time in consults and, you know, having initial conversations with people just to try to figure out who they are. But, you know, I like to, to use a different approach for everybody. So that's probably where I say that 60% is weighed more towards experience because I think that's, that it's like that extra 10% is just learning those soft skills. But yeah, the soft skills are a huge part of it. It's like, I see the biggest, biggest benefit that academia gave me was like, I knew how to lay out a plan to get someone started. I knew where their volume, their intensity, their exercise selection needed to be to start. I could Harris Benedict the shit out of anybody. <laughs> but after that point, when things started to go a little awry and maybe there were some conditions some concerns that came up that were outside of my field of study, whether they be psychological or physiological, that's when I really started to struggle. And that's when the trial and error really had to come into play and where, you know, I only really started to gain speed as an efficacious coach after a few years of working with people. So formal apology to the first couple dozens of people that I worked with um, about those texts you got from me that were like, well, I plugged your numbers into the equation and it's not making sense. So you're fucking something up. I think we've all been down that, uh, that, that fun road before with clients. Yeah. That's that, that manipulation is the coaching part. That's the rest where you actually do the coaching. I think a lot of like, evidence-based, very academic-minded individuals come out, their clients are numbers on a spreadsheet, and when the numbers don't make sense, they, that's when their coaching stops. That's when they just run out of ideas of, of, of ways to make things work. It's. I think we had a conversation on that early on when we first met. I was trying to formula everything I possibly could into a spreadsheet, and you're like, at some point, like, you... you you can't avoid coaching, you know, like you can't, you got to actually coach people if you want to coach. <laughs> um, so it's funny. And that was, you know, that was the gist of the conversation that I had with Zach Talander on the podcast episode before we were talking about the juggernaut AI. And he said, you know, it's a really cool. There's a ton of really awesome equations built in there. It's a very fun system. It provides a lot of value, but you know, AI does 10 to 15% of the work that an actual coach does. So, you know, that other 85 to 90% is, you know, we were talking about weightlifting. It's looking at the videos. It's why did your technique degrade? Where are you weak? It's doing those actual coaching things. And, you know, as our coaching practices have evolved, we've changed a lot. There are some huge pieces, integral pieces of us as coaches that we've changed what do you guys think some of those things are? It could be like back end, like where you store data, how you collect data, all that, fat loss, muscle gain, programming, whatever it is. And, you know, I'll toss it out there. Who wants to go first? Um, for me, I would have to say the biggest was training because that was never my strong suit. Um, I'd say over the past like two years, it's probably developed the most. And I would say this year it's developed even further, uh, thanks to Papa Bear Paul. Um, uh, that has definitely been probably the biggest piece of things that's changed for me. Um, backend stuff, I've always been kind of OCD, pretty organized on things, um, as far as like tracking for clients and stuff. But definitely learning how to program training 
um, was a thing because for so long, my coaching, I never even gave training. I just did nutrition and kind of just told them like, do a push legs, pull split, you know, how, whatever movements you want, because I didn't feel confident enough to write an actual training program. Um, so that was probably the biggest, that's the biggest piece of coaching that's changed for me. I think sign uh, up for the mentoring lab and learn about <laughs> coaching and exercise selection. Hell yeah, dude. Link in bio. I think uh, I could probably pick a lot of like things across the board, but I'll, I'll go with programming because I think early on when if you got a program for me, everything was five fucking sets. It didn't matter, you know, and it was just if I had this idea from day one that you were going to do a block of sets of 10 and the next block was sets of eight and the next block was sets of six, that's what we did. And it, it's just it, it was predetermined. But I think like over time, I've learned one, how to interpret like data coming at me from what's actually happening to a client and two, how to be reactive, I guess, and start to actually make actually make programs that make sense for a person versus, like I said earlier on that first question, writing things that just look like what you'd probably see in a textbook or something, you know, or a course. So I had to mute myself right there because my dog, I need to get like a GoPro. So like half my screen is just me. And then half the screen is like where the, the couch where the dogs sit when I'm recording a podcast because they always just act a fool. And Boo just tried to like hang himself on the curtains over there. But unrelated, Jay, some big things that you've changed over time. Oh, man. Uh, that's, that's a long one. So I think, you know, probably some back end stuff would be the biggest change i mean when this whole online coaching thing got started you know back in the day we were just personal trainers and i remember getting my first client that i didn't see like i couldn't physically see them on a regular basis and then i remember sending them an email uh with their meal plan and then <laughs> their training program and then years later that's now online coaching but i never got very much data from them. I might've gotten their scale weight on a regular basis, something like that, but now we're tracking so many things. So it's, it's definitely a back end change for me. I, I remember the first time I asked Ryan, I said, what's your check-in sheet look like? And then he's like, I'll send it over to you. And he sent it over to me. I looked at it and I was like, oh, this whole thing is just fucked. I'm like, how is he? <laughs> and then I was like, oh shit, I've been doing this not wrong, but I've definitely missed a lot of things. Yeah. I'm, but I'm just... wait, but wait, there's a side to that. So before I sent that check-in sheet to him, I used to do my check-ins. I had one big spreadsheet with people's names on it. The cells here were the names. The cells here were dates and things that they emailed me. And then I kept their weights in a, in a never-ending email chain. That was how I used to do it before that. Yeah, dude. I mean, my first coach, my my very first client ever. Um, yeah, I would get their seven days of wait. I would have them calculate an average for me, and I would just tell them what their macros were, and that email chain would go forever because that's what my first forever. Coach yeah, and they'd be like, "Yo, what did I weigh seven I weeks ago?" And I'd be like, "Stand by for the next forty-five minutes as I try and find it." My first coach never asked for my weight. <laughs> He's like, we're doing this whole thing off pictures. He knew you were you. supposed to do this. <laughs> I and love see, it. 
dude, these days I don't even uh, photos are um, just not as high on the priority list as it probably used to be or as most coaches, because I mean, fuck it, man, you had a yeah, half inch on your biceps and you do a front double bicep photo, you can't see that half inch. So like now I, I take a lot of measures and I, I, I could do better check-ins with body weight and measures than I can with like, if I just got a photo by far. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Cause like, even if like I have a client who checks in and they're like, Hey, I didn't get a chance to take my pictures. Do you still want them? And I'm like, not really. It's fine. Like as long as your sheets filled out and all your data is there, like, like the quarter inch we lost this week, I, I'm not going to be able to see that. Like, cause like you, if I compare pictures, I'm comparing like week one to week seven or yeah. like, ch like chunks of time, not, not week to week, week to week, week to week. Cause unless you're in prep, like towards the end, then you'll start seeing that kind of change. But for like general population, which is majority of what I work with, um, as long as I have your data, like if you miss your pictures, it, it, really doesn't change anything that i'm gonna adjust for you and it's huge information for them because you know before i took measures um we could go several months and you know i just don't really have a lot to tell them versus now like a few months go by and it's like oh look you're the same weight you were six months ago three months ago or whatever but your waist is a half inch smaller and your arms are like a quarter inch bigger, you know, and they're like, oh, shit, this is actually fucking working, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's something that I've definitely changed is like the amount of data that I take and then factor into the equation. It's always a red flag for me when someone like only relies on photos or only relies on weigh ins, or only relies on things like measurements like these are all pieces of the entire puzzle here and you put them all together and like dom said if you have all of the data and you're not you know four weeks out from a contest prep like your weight average went down by 0.7 this week you ate your protein you did all your training cool we can be pretty freaking confident that that 0.7 that you lost is almost entirely body fat don't really need to see your pictures that much let's move it along and get those pictures next week and then over eight weeks we say here's week one Here's week eight. Between these, you lost 10 pounds of body fat. Now we can see that that huge difference. It completely changes how the decisions you make, too, sometimes, man. Like, I remember uh, looking at a sheet with another coach, and uh, they were going to pull food. And I was like, yeah, their body weight didn't change that much. Um, but, you know, look at this measurement. It's like, oh, shit, maybe we should wait a week. And then it saves the week an extra week before they uh, – reach that point where they're suffering potentially, you know, or decide to drop out of their show. <laughs> like, Yeah. Or like uh, it, it could stop like a premature plateau from happening. Like, yeah. like, you know, like a premature, like pull from food. Like yeah. sometimes if, like clients, like if they progress hard or like if they drop a lot of weight one week, like sometimes I won't even change anything for a couple of weeks because I just want to ride it out. I don't want to pull food and then, Maybe I caused the plateau because I pulled food. Uh, so I think that's a good way to look at things, too, because if waist measurements, you know, things like that are coming down and weight's not really moving, we know we're losing something at that point. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I've probably changed from the start would have to be the way that I speak to people. 
Um, when I first got into coaching, it was very, it was very much uh, wrongly, of course, about me. Like they had the opportunity to work with me. So like that was something that I was blessing them with. Like they had the honor of paying to be in my presence. And if they fucked up or they went off plan, I was the first one to be like, you know, you're wasting my time. What are we even doing here? Why don't you go hire someone else? You can waste their time instead. And now that I've kind of gotten a little older, a little less egotistical and realized that like, this is a very client driven business. Like they have to be the hero of the story and you guide them wherever they tell you they want to go within the story. So, you know, if people miss check-ins for weeks at a time, they fall off plan for a week at a time, they're usually giving you some sort of subtle cue that they want to take their story in a different direction. And it's your job to guide them in the direction. You don't pick the direction that they go. They pick, they point the direction that they want to go. You draw the map of how to get there. And if they decide that they want to all ADHD Dora the Explorer on you in the middle of the journey and go in a million different directions, because that's what makes them happy. Like that's what they hired you to do. This obviously isn't true for bodybuilders because like start date, end date, I'm getting you from here to here. But lifestyle clients, they shift their mindset all the time. They want to try CrossFit for a week. Then they want to be a bodybuilder. Then they want to squat really heavy. Then they want to, you know, implement some swimming in their training. And it's your job to say, you know what? Let's take all those inputs. Let's take all those variables. Let's balance them in the most effective way we possibly can and get you towards your goal in the way that makes you the happiest possible. Yes, this just happened to me uh, two days ago. Like a client, would, I changed her. I added a day of training. She was on a four-day split. She wanted a fifth day. When she originally signed up with me, I had her on three low days, like lower days. And she was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I could handle three leg days, so I took it out. Whatever. Fast forward, I had this fifth day back, and I added a full upper body day. And she was like, why did you not add that third leg day? And I was like, well, you didn't want to do it in the beginning. I was like, I'm not going to make you do something that you don't want to do. Like I, you want to, I want you to have fun during this whole thing. Not, not be like, oh my God, I have legs another day this week. And she was like, oh, I really appreciate that. Like, I, I was like, I'm here to work with you and communicate with you and do things you enjoy. Um, even when clients are like, hey, I want to lose a bit more weight. If I don't think it's a terrible idea, fine. We'll shift to a diet phase. That's fine. We can do that. Unless it's really just a bad idea, then I'll explain why I think it's not the best idea to do that right now. And then usually they take that as like, okay, he's explaining it. I learned something and then they're fine with it. But, you know, if it's not a bad idea, I just go with the flow because at the end of the day, they're paying me to guide them in what they want to do. 100%. Yeah. And for a while there, oh, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got sort of a similar experience actually that happened recently as well. You know, I'm working with a guy and he's a lifestyle client. I guess he's going off to the Coast Guard soon or something like that. And, uh, you know, he, you know, when I gave him his program and his nutrition and everything, and I think what it was, I didn't program any cardio at all because he said that he was like running and swimming and he's doing all these things. So I just didn't program it. And he saw that as I need to stop doing all of those things. And he's like a former collegiate swimmer, like he is an athlete at the end of the day. And so I get an email from the other day and he's like, you know, I'm feeling a little bit 
tired and lethargic. I think I just need to, you know, is it possible for me to go back to the running and swimming? And I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm like, do you enjoy running and swimming? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, so do that shit. Like, I'm not here to tell you, let me yeah. figure out how to make that work. You do the things that you where, enjoy. And then that's where a good coach adjusts for that. If my client wants to keep his 20 mile bike rides in his thing, we're going to consider that in his expenditure and adjust his diet accordingly and let him enjoy the things he's enjoying. But for the longest time, I considered that to be bad coaching. It was like client comes to you. They hire you to go from A to B detours to C, D, E, F and everywhere in between are not what was agreed upon at the start. So that would be bad coaching by allowing them those like flexible sidetracks along their path. And I've definitely got away from that mentality. But what are some other things that you guys have done in the past? I want to add something to that. I do still get up in there, Paul. I do still think it's good coaching to like, if somebody has an idea and you're like, well, like, this could be an obstacle towards getting you to wherever, or this is why I think it's a bad idea. But ultimately, like, yeah, I've had those situations where I'm like, I don't think you should do this. I think that it is harmful to your goal in this and this way. But if you really want to do it, we'll do it. Just know that there may be some trade off. Yeah, I've got a guy and he's like the sweetest guy ever. And, uh, you know, he's a competitor and he, he sent me a message one day and he said, uh, He asked me, how do I felt about, you know, active rest, like doing something outside of his normal training? I said, yeah, dude, do that. Like whatever it is. And then I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. What is the thing that you want to do? (laughs) Like, what is this thing? And he said, I just like to go to the gym and just do some light sets. And I said, no, no, no. I'm like, (laughs) no, (laughs) let's, let's back this thing way up here at the end of the day. And let's address why you feel the need to be in the gym seven days a week. And one of those days just being some light work just because you like being in the gym. Like there's nothing else that you enjoy. And we, we kind of unraveled that a little bit and he kind of started to assess what the gym meant to him and what bodybuilding meant to him. And, you know, the things he, he was almost using that as an outlet to kind of push other shit that was gone in his life away. And we kind of had, you know, a chat about that stuff. So there are some instances where you may have to back people away from their ideas a little bit, but for the most part, you know, do whatever you like to do, you know? Mm. It's a lifelong endeavor. It sure as hell should be fun, at least along the way. Or it might not, uh, might, might, might not be something you stick with for life. Now, I am going to add the caveat on this question, on this next question. You can't say meal plans, all right? Meal plans are off the table. We've talked about it a million times before. So what are some other things that you originally got away from that you thought were bad coaching but you've kind of come back around to in your later years within the field. Oh, I can, I'll let somebody else start, but I just thought of one. No, Paul, go. Um, I, so early on, um, I thought giving somebody a pre-made more or less cookie cutter template for training, uh, to start off with was a bad, was bad coaching. You know, so like I would have this big call. We talk about what they want to brought up and I would just sort of throw them right into specialization training. But then I started thinking like, man, I don't know anything about this guy. 
um, like, you know, what kind of volumes they need, um, you know, and just, uh, you know, keep fatigue from being uh, more or less like too much and, and just stuff like that. And I was like, actually, it probably makes the most sense to give somebody a, a cookie cutter template that it has a good amount of, you know, exercise selection, um, you know, basic exercise order, basic volumes that most people will respond to and just see what happens. And chances are a lot of times that already, I feel like beats the hell out of whatever they were doing before. Um, and sometimes you find like, oh shit, we didn't have to do anything crazy to get you to grow. We just needed to give you a, a decent, intelligent, pl well-rounded plan. And then from there, once I start to see um, your response over a training cycle or a few training cycles, if we need to, then we start individualizing training a little more. And to yeah, me, actually, that is a better coaching process. I actually had this conversation with a new client yesterday and I was like, I'm gonna start you with some training that is very basic, looks very simple because there is a very good chance here that you are within that normal bell curve. Like chances are, if we draw out that bell curve, you're in here. You're probably not out here and you're probably not out here. So I'm gonna give you training that causes the most adaptation for the people that are in the middle of the bell curve. And if you start to adapt like you're out here or you're out here, then we can adjust the training accordingly. But until that point comes, we're gonna give you some training that'll work reasonably well for most people given you know intelligent programming constraints. So my thing that I thought was bad coaching in the past, I'll go next. Um, was probably like meal plans. No, I'm just kidding. Jay and Don, I'll let you guys go next. Um, I don't know because I feel like I've been coaching the same for a long time and it's just gotten more detailed over time. I don't, I, I can't, like, I never believed in fasted cardio from day one and I still don't. <laughs> so I didn't come back to that. Um, do you have any clients that do fasted cardio though? Yeah, I let them just on a schedule thing. If they like it, if they like starting their day with it. Um, one thing, I don't know. Jay, let go, because I got to think. <laughs> uh, so there was a time where hit cardio was the primary way or the only way that you could lo use, lose fat that was like you know that just <laughs> made sense and Duh. i remember when i first met all ryan, the steady state <laughs> i remember when i first met ryan we were both in a competition prep and it was like ryan steve and myself were all in a competition prep and we were all doing hit cardio on the stair mill uh and like there were times i'm like barely hanging on like my legs are dragging off the bottom of it <laughs> Like just because they that just was holding the, onto the rails and letting his legs drag. We're like, Jay, that's not how you do it. The, the steps were <laughs> just beating me in the face. <laughs> but that was the only way that we could lose fat. You know, that was the way that you had to do it. Like you just suffer on the uh, the airdyne bike until you lose fat. That was the only way to do it. And then once that, and I think it may have been something that Lyle wrote or said or something where it, it makes sense, you know. Steady state cardio was far more efficient because you can just do more of it. You know, you can't do 45 minutes of hit cardio. You just, you die. 
So I stepped way, I'd stepped away from that. And I'd, I'd run into people that say, you know, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of things. You know, their step count was real low. And I'd just be like, well, steady state car, you got to figure out a way to make it work. You just got to steady state your way there. And then now I've come to the conclusion, like, can you do hit cardio? Yeah. Do you have 15 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Then let's do some hit cardio. Let's just get you doing something at the end of the day and just kind of create more of a deficit. And also there's, you know, there's heart health benefits, which are probably quite a bit important uh, because your heart is fairly important. So probably hit cardio would be the thing that I'd kind of stepped away from. And then now I'm, you know, kind of, uh, I'm embracing it again, almost like a long lost lover. I got it. He's got it. Dom has found his long lost lover. You're not going to believe it either because of me, <laughs> like because of what I do. I thought giving too much fruit was bad coaching. Wow. Wow. And now, and now we know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> was I around? Was I around? <laughs> was I around when that light bulb went off? Because I, I remember there was like a, uh, a, a, a point in time where – you you hit that pretty hard on on your Instagram stories, probably because yeah. because I remember I remember uh, somebody had just said something about eating fruit and how bad it was and like how detrimental it could be to fat loss. And I told I told Paul I was like I'm doing this whole prep eating fruit the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> So I think you can give kind of people a realization like in real time by having them eat, you know, 400 calories or 800 calories, whatever it is of carbs from like Pop-Tarts and then do that same thing with strawberries. Try and eat 800 calories worth of strawberries. Like it, it would honestly be bigger than that. I mean, how many pounds is it? I'll try it today. Yes. All right. So we'll math that out. and We'll try it today. And Dom will do full day of eating on my story, guys. Everyone requested to see a full day of eating. I have to eat four pounds of strawberries because I said I would. Um, What did I do? That was dumb, man. A lot of stuff. So much stuff. I had one on my mind, but then it slipped and now it's coming back. So there was a period of time that was like I was genuinely convinced that if you wanted to keep your calories higher during prep, you could just do more cardio. So like eat 3000 calories every day throughout your entire contest prep or your entire fat loss diet. Just do like 700, 800 calories of cardio a day. And then those numbers will like match up because, you know, it's just CICO, baby. I was a CICO path, a psychopath at the time. And I thought, you know, if you could do all those extra calories, and then, you know, I actually read a book or two, Theory of Constrained Energy, you know, all that good stuff, hunger response from doing too much cardio. And I was like, you know what, this is this is not an intelligent standpoint. But there was an even less intelligent standpoint. And Jay, I'm going to I'm going to bring you back here. Do you remember the cardio free prep? <laughs> he does. He remembers it. There was a period of like, I don't know, like three months where everyone was like, you know, you don't even have to do cardio during prep. And as a matter of fact, you shouldn't just get all but of your calorie deficit from food. What what you didn't hear about were uh, the the few people that did it successfully, you know, because nobody talked about step count back then. They they were fucking getting 10, 15, 10 to 15,000 steps a day, you know. 
And they that was their cardio. That was their steady state cardio. You know, like Dude, I think we were talking about that the other day where I think I made that comment where I there was a time and it's it's when eating a bunch of carbs was the thing. Like if you could prep on a shit ton of carbs, you were, you know, everybody's like bowing down to you. And I was one of those people where I would diet on like 3,500 to 4,000 calories. But at the time I was running a restaurant. So I walked like my step count was like 15,000, 20,000 steps a day. So I needed that many calories just to not lose weight at a ridiculous rate. So it's, you know, but I, I definitely remember those. And I remember bragging about, I don't do any cardio outside of like a five minute warm up. You're doing cardio every day, asshole. You work 60 days, 60 <laughs> hours a week on your feet, you dummy. You know what I reflect back on and hate? Um, there's one prep client in general that really, it comes back. And I always, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I hope he hires me again to do uh, another prep for him because he was getting like 12,000 steps a day and I still cardioed him down. And <laughs> I look back now, I'm like, dude, I know that I could get him within that four week stretch, no cardio. Maybe, maybe no cardio the whole fucking way. Like, <laughs> just send him a DM. I'm sorry, and then explain yeah. why you're sorry and all the bad things you did. Get smarter over time, dude. So here we are in year three. Yeah, year three, year four of our time here at Gifted Performance. You know, we've had literally hundreds of clients come through our doors. You know, we've all worked with hundreds of people on our own. What do you think your biggest takeaways are reflecting on the past couple years of coaching? Kind of a kind of a big little meta question here. My big takeaway is that I love my friends. I do like this. I know it's tough, right? So I think we've already talked about kind of like coaching tips, things we did differently in the past, working with people on the psychological side of things. Jay's got something. I would say I've gotten really good at um, fitting people's likes, dislikes, like, because I've always done meal plans. You guys have done macros forever. So I think I've gotten really good at constructing some pretty detailed variety meal plans that are like option wise within 60 to 70 calories. So like, you know, depending on their options, they, they stay within their meat, like their calorie goal. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest things. And I worked with a lot of vegan clients. So that's a big one that I've definitely like learned how to go full plant-based without just eating tofu 10 times a day. Do you think that variety has like helped your clients out a lot? Because I think that some one of the main drawbacks or counterpoints to like the IFYM kind of way of dieting is that if you give people too many choices, they will inherently fuck it up because they've been fucking it up their entire life. And that's why they applied to work with you in the first place. Yeah. So like two years ago, my variety list was huge. I would give like macros per meal. And then an estimate, an estimated weight of like a carbless this long, and you just had to plug it in where you wanted it. And then I, then that I started noticing people just not adhering so well to it. And then I chopped that down and then I just put like four or five of them together on an actual meal plan and just tell them pick one of these. Yeah, so you've oh, yeah. actually taken it from so many 
super complicated for them, almost impossible to choose, to like whittling it down based on their personal interests. Yep. Cool. Jay, what did you have to say there? Um, I think, <laughs> and it's going to sound super cheesy, but the biggest takeaway for me, and I think it's just from you know my experience as a coach, is even recently, you know, the ability to just ask for help and to use the resources that are available to me. Um, you know, I, I did this for a while by myself and that's when everybody, everything was a secret. Nobody wanted to tell anybody how they were doing anything because they were all concerned about, you know, losing business or something like that. And now, you know, since joining gifted, it feels good to like, you know, I can ask Paul, like, Hey, what do you think about this? And then he can give me a response or I can, you know, we can ask within the chat, like, what do you guys think about this? Which, how should I handle this? And I think my biggest takeaway is always is now, you know, use the resources that are available to me as opposed to just trying to do it myself. Um, that would probably be the first one. And the second one, sort of right below, can I give two? Is that legal? Yes. Okay. Um, I'll the allow second it. one, kind of really close behind that, is that this is a business at the end of the day, um, in that I should treat it as such the vast majority of the time. Um, you know, it's, it can be, and I was the king of like, maybe I let someone stay on my roster for months on end without getting any revenue. And that would just add to my level of stress over time. Because now it's like, you know, I, I have less time to devote to the people that at least are respectful enough to make sure they compensate me. Um, instead of having, you know, I, 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 there was a time where I would just do that because I thought it was the, the nice thing to do. And over time, I've realized, like, maybe I have a person that may have may, might be having some financial problems and I kind of let them ride for a little bit. But I shouldn't have a roster of like 30 people that haven't paid for six months and they're just <laughs> adding on to my overall stress <laughs> level, you know. Uh, yeah. Paul, finish us off. I think. uh Something that's huge, I think for me, when I reflect back on my start, is don't be afraid to fuck up because you are going to fuck up. And, you know, I think back and I was always so concerned about how a client started. You know, I could spend a fucking hour just deciding what what their macros were going to be their, their first week um, or before... Uh, you know, I just I went to having a more standardized starting program. Um, I could spend two hours writing their first training program, and the start doesn't matter. I, it, it matters to an extent. You you can have such a bad start that there are consequences later. But the the margin of the window of error you're allowed to have when when somebody starts is a lot bigger than you would like to think. And it's not about the start. It's about knowing where to go, how to interpret the data and move from there. You know, you start them on too little food. You you find that out over a week or two. Where do you go from there? That's what's important. And that's what coaching is, you know, I think. Um, and yeah, and along with not being afraid to fuck up, like also just not being afraid to try new things. You know, I had a very... Um, kind of like Ryan, like, this is the way, this is how we're doing it. And, you know, like I had a conversation with Dom on his uh, training program that, for his improvement season that he sort of built for himself. And, you know, I was like, these are the things that I would probably change. But by all means, if you just want to do this and go for it, do it, man. Like, you got to experience it and, and you're going to learn something from it, like good or bad. Um, 
And so I think having that mindset is huge just for continual growth and not staying inside that box and looking back three years later and, you know, being asked these questions and saying, I do everything exactly the same. It all worked. Why would I change it? You know? Yeah, I feel like that's a big thing. I feel like you and I do that a lot. Like, oh, maybe we could try this. Maybe we should try that. Like that that's not what we normally do, but maybe it'd be cool. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I used we, to be a dick. You can adjust right away if something goes bent out of shape. Yeah, I used to be a dick. Like, if you talked to me two or three years ago and, like, you know, we were talking over your programming, like, I probably would have gotten angry if you were like, no, I think I'm just going to try this. I'd be like, you fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> you would have hated me. Because, <laughs> I mean, what are the percentage point differences in the things that Dom chose to implement versus what you think is, quote, unquote, optimal? I mean, what are we talking about here? fractions of a percentage point one percent difference two percent difference maybe if that even if they were very different you know because there were some big volume differences but like long term what is the biggest difference he does it for four weeks he's like ah eh, maybe i should lower my volume a little bit on these muscle groups and then he corrects and at the end of the year he's exactly as big as he would have been and he learned something from that you know <laughs> yeah and i think people are too scared like you said too scared to try those new things because they have that like found that like lost time fallacy that's like if i spend four weeks you know doing a strength block or a resensitization phase you know i'll lose all my all my gains or whatever it is it's like you know what just give it a shot you're never going to find out it's a horrible idea until you try and the converse too is like i've been fucking wrong the the converse is dom does it and he's like Paul, I'm glad I didn't fucking listen to you, right? You know, so. <laughs> yeah, I'd still be on that Stairmaster doing 500 calories of intervals in less than 20 minutes if Jay hadn't been like, hey, man, here's this article by Lyle McDonald. Turns out we've been torturing ourselves for no reason. <laughs> so thank you, Lyle. We'll, uh, we'll bring you back on the pod one of these days and let you and Jay just have a fist fight or something like that. <laughs> All right, folks, there it is. The things we did wrong over the years, what we've learned. And, you know, if only, if only someone could come up with a classroom setting, maybe you could even call it a lab, where some mentoring would go down. You would get access to templates to use for yourself, to use for future clients. You would get coaching education. You would get a forum to speak. We should do that. Your like my, I, this is, I, I'm just coming up with this on the spot. What we could call it is the hypertrophy and fat loss mentoring lab. That sound about right? I thought you were going to okay. say hypertrophy and fat, but fat loss, I think. Okay. Yeah. That, I think that makes more of like a succinct thing. We could put it on the gifted performance storefront now, $99 for your first month. And $99 a month every month after that, gaining access to those templates if you sign up. Actually, this is going to go on like way later. So, hey, just go on the store, sign up, $99 a month, you know? <laughs> Whatever, everything's going to be different by the time you get this. By the time that we actually put this out, that it might be called something way different. It might be called like Paul's porn pocket. And it's just where like Paul dumps all of his like deep internet fetish porn that he finds. And it'll still be $99 a month month so imagine or, the savings or we could call it meat factory the meat Ooh. factory 
that's going <laughs> to conclude us for the day. Make sure you go sign up for the mentoring lab so that you can avoid all of the mistakes that the four dingleberries on this podcast made throughout their coaching careers. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Bump us up in that algorithm so we can get YouTube rich. Arthas, the Lich King himself, demands it. If you know who that is, just go ahead and comment below and say, I am cool. I am woke. Don't know who I'm that a, is. But we will, we will <laughs> see this is. on the next one, guys. Until then, and every moment after this, stay gifted. We love Bye. you.